We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Honey, I switched the family to Boost Mobile and we got so much more. Like what? Well, we got four free LG Style 5 phones, four lines for just $25 per line per month. I smashed up the car and unlimited gigs. Wait, did you say you smashed up the car? Yes, it's completely smashed. But four free phones. Switch to Boost and get four lines for just $25 per line per month. Four free phones with unlimited gigs, all on our super reliable, super fast nationwide network. Boost Mobile, the switch that gives you more. Terms and conditions apply. New customers only. Visit BoostMobile.com for details. This is the Gator Nation Football Podcast, powered by Campus Insiders, with your hosts, Alan Williams and James DiVirgilio. Welcome back to the Gator Nation Football Podcast. My name is Alan Williams, as always, right here next to James DiVirgilio. This is the second part of our coverage of National Signing Day. We're going to get a chance to talk to Blake Alderman, really break down the class, who are the big hits in this class, who are some of the sleepers, and just our overall opinions of Is this enough to help us move forward as a program? This class is being defined as a balanced class that filled essentially a lot of important needs, especially at defensive tackle and some other key areas, which we're going to dive into right now. McIlwain in his press conference had mentioned that their goal was twofold. One, it was to recruit the state of Florida, which we definitely and significantly achieved. And two, it was to make sure that we avoided these significant drop-offs as players left to go to the NFL, transferred from the program, whatever the case may be, that we experienced under Muschamp. Did we successfully do that with this class? And what were some of those needs that we consensusly got covered? Yeah, it was interesting because, uh, as McElwain put it, you know, he didn't want to have to overhaul things. So when he got here, we're really lacking an offensive lineman and some other places in the class where you, you just have this big turnover and there's nobody there. Because in previous classes, you maybe were taking extra guys at positions you didn't need. So it's kind of this interesting balancing act that the coaches have to do to make sure you don't end up three years later with nobody on the roster. So in that sense, the big turnover at positions was defensive line, specifically defensive tackle, and overall in the secondary. Corner, especially. We're losing guys like uh, Quincy Wilson, Tabor, Marcus May, so just a need for a lot more bodies in the secondary. And I think that's where we're going to see some potential stars come out of this. So those were the biggest needs. And I feel like the staff did a fantastic job of filling those spots, not just with guys, 
Like, okay, we need more bodies. But getting some high-level guys in each of those positions. So TJ Slayton, Elijah Conliffe, two four-star guys at defensive tackle. Um, excellent, really highly rated players. And then a lot of guys in the secondary, but two I'll mention, Marco Wilson. You might recognize that name now because Quincy Wilson's little brother. And a guy, Chris Henderson or C.J. Henderson from Miami. That was a real battle between UF and Miami down to the end. And there's a couple more guys I can mention, but really top flight talent across the board. And it was interesting because there's no big stars in this class, but at each position that the Gators targeted, they came away with some really talented guys. So overall, there's a lot of depth to this class and a lot of um, excellent players at positions of need. Yeah, I think strategically, and I like to look at it from that angle. Alan's a good micro analyst. I'm a I'm a good macro analyst when it comes to giving you some information that maybe isn't out there. And I think the way I think of this class, uh, whereas last year I said, hey, we did fill some needs, but we missed a lot of quality players. I feel like this is a very quality player intensive class. Maybe not a lot of star players at the highest level that you'd like to have, but a lot of quality players, guys that probably can contribute early and, and a really solid roster depth building class. And this is what you need to do. You need to shore up your weak ranks. You need to make sure you have enough guys. And I think particularly at receiver, three years ago, you looked at our roster at receiver and it was woefully thin. And you look at it now and, and we're going to have four Under Armour All-Americans on the same roster, which I can't name the last time that's happened at Florida. That's a significant improvement in that regard. And defensive tackle, which we had mentioned all year long as being a major problem, we totally whiffed on it last year, completely addressed. So I sit feeling very good strategically about their targets and how they got them. I think they're building their roster correctly when they look at how you need to field a team. Those are very important things coaches do. We've experienced that firsthand again with Muschamp of what you can do when you get a lot of good guys, great guys, but it doesn't fit. You have to do both. And so I've been very encouraged by that part of it. I think the class is very strong with regards to that. And it's something that all of us should be excited about uh, when you're just not looking at players' names and instead you're just saying, hey, we needed so many cornerbacks, so many receivers, so many defensive tackles. We did a really good job this year of addressing some of those needs. Tight end might be a spot people say, hey, we only got one. We could have used more to reload them. Our second guy didn't qualify. But really outside of that, for the most part, really well-balanced class. Yeah, I think you hit on that tight end be the one nitpicky and that guy might still, you know, ultimately qualify and enroll. Who knows when you, once you miss these guys on signing day, if they ever appear again, but you, so you mentioned wide receiver and offensive line, you know, when every class you want to take at least a couple of those guys running back too, we need to, we had some needs at running back, but they, again, they weren't just guys cause they were looking for numbers. These are really good players. Uh, TJ Moore, Kadeem Telford, offensive line, I think that are gonna be players for the Gators, and then Daquan Green and James Robinson uh, at wide receiver, like you said. Um, I think that they're they're gonna come in and compete early because they're high level guys, and so anytime you're adding competition to your roster, I think it ultimately is gonna create better on the field product. Now I just mentioned James Robinson, there's another guy, Adarius Lemons, two guys who were on and off. Uh, the Gators' radar, you know, mostly because of off-the-field issues. Robinson, very high-profile uh, incident at Ohio, at Ohio State, where he got caught with some uh, illicit material. 
drugs. Um, and then lemons, not as much, not as high profile, but you know, had some trouble in high school. So end up taking both those guys. So let's not focus on their cases specifically, but how do you feel about taking guys in a recruiting class with some of these character flags? I, I do like the ability to use your own judgment and your own discretion and your own brain. So what I'm saying is I don't like blanket policies that say, hey, the University of Florida will never take a guy that carries marijuana at a job interview, right? Which is a really bad thing, which it is. It's really stupid. I'll never take a guy that fails academically. I think those are foolish things to do because there are times when people do make mistakes and they do actually work hard and overcome them. Uh, there's so many great stories in life where people do that. I think you can get too far on that spectrum, like Bobby Bowden did, where it was sort of like, hey, you do something, I'll, I'll turn the other blind eye, and you just keep staying here. But I don't think Mac's like that. I think Mac is an individual responsibility guy. We've talked a lot about it in the years we've been doing this show. I believe in that process a lot myself as a man. I think if he can look eye to eye with these guys and say, hey, tell me about the situation. Are you remorseful? Do you understand what this does to you? Do you understand the expectations now you will have when you're on campus, which is essentially going to be zero tolerance? Are you willing to work for it? Are you willing to humble yourself to get this done? And if you can look in that guy's eyes and read that, hey, that guy really wants this and he's serious about it, then I think it's worth it. Uh, I, I'm not excusing that behavior, and I don't think McElwain is either. I think he's saying there are consequences to your actions, but I feel like if I can look at you and see that you want this as a young man, I can help mentor you and steer you and get you on the right path. I don't think that that is naive or that that is just because the guy's a superstar. Of course, yes, it helps that they're that talented, but in general, you got to take a shot on some guys that you think have the makeup to overcome their problems. And if they don't, you have to be willing to let them go. And I think that's the big thing. This becomes a mistake to me if a guy like Robinson gets in the program and makes mistakes and is allowed to stay. That sets a bad example. But if he comes in the program, makes mistakes, and is out of the program, then you say, hey, I took a shot and it didn't work. Uh, but that's kind of how I feel about that situation. I don't want to blanket it. I think a lot of these guys have some some difficult situations they're encountering, and I'm definitely not excusing it. Case-by-case case basis, use your discretion, use your logic. Make sure that you're protecting your team first and foremost. And if it's being done that way, I don't have a problem with it. I 100% agree. I, You know, there's varying degrees of this. You know, I know um, Mississippi State, where Scott Strickland was, our athletic director last year, took a ton of heat for taking a guy, a five-star guy who – had some violence against women issues. And so again, you don't want to be like, okay, any character flags, we're not going to take him. I think you can make choices about what is the real character of this kid? Did he just do something stupid or is he, is this more indicative of an overall problem with him? You don't always know, but I think if you can use your best judgment, I like giving these kids a second chance. If you feel like they're a good bet and like you said, then you got to be willing to let them go. Um, I think when you try to cover up stuff on campus, that's where you've seen at Ohio State, Baylor, that's when the real stuff goes down. But everybody knows that you, you don't have full knowledge of people's actions and their intentions. So I think McElwain and the staff sounds like they did really a lot of due diligence in investigating these kids. They've been talking to these kids for years. They know them well. So I think if they feel comfortable taking them, it's a good sign. Now, this is going to be on McElwain, right? If these kids show up, he knew that there are concerns. If they show up and do some real damage or have some really high-profile like incidents, more than just maybe a marijuana citation, then he's going to catch heat. 
So he is taking a risk on these kids. And I think he knows that, but he seems comfortable with it where they're at. And so I guess we'll have to give him the benefit of the doubt. Now, again, if we're continually having like a ton of arrests and things like that and player incidents, which haven't been a ton under McElwain, then maybe we need to revisit this topic. But for right now, I feel pretty solid about it. Let's take a deep dive into this class with Blake Alderman. All right, we are joined now by Blake Alderman, one of our favorite guests. He's the recruiting football analyst for InsideTheGators.com on Rivals. Blake, thanks so much for joining us. I know this is a hectic time for you, and uh, yeah, thankful to have you on. Yeah, man, happy to be here, happy to be in one piece, and uh, happy to actually go outside again tonight. Yeah, right. Go get some sun today. What are your thoughts right off the top on this class in general? You know, I think first and foremost, I think the class is solid. You know, I think that if you looked at Florida's offense last year, yeah, it struggled. But I think if you really look and and dive into their roster, it's a lot of young pieces on their offense. So, you know, I think they added some pieces to their offense, obviously, to kind of, you know, help it, you know, running back, quarterback, offensive line, some pieces here, a couple wide receivers, you know, th- those are great. But I think really when you look at this class, I think it's what they did on the defensive side that really stands out the most to me. You know, they, they really reloaded, so to say. You know, you sign six defensive backs like that, four linebackers, you add some more guys on the defensive line, you add one defensive end because, you know, Florida, if you look at their roster, wasn't hurting at defensive end. But you sign a guy who who's Zach Carter who can play a little end. He may even grow into a tackle so – you know, I, I really am, am impressed with what they did defensively, and I think it should be commended their effort, you know, from going to, I think, what was it, 34th last week whenever Elijah Blaze decommitted to skyrocketing all the way up to finishing ninth in Rivals team rankings. So, you know, I think that it's really impressive with just the work that they did and, you know, how they closed, so to say. You know, I, I think that everyone it, it will agree that Florida needs to do some improvements on the recruiting trail, but I think with how they closed and, and even being two coaches down, I, I think is impressive. You just hit a lot of important points there that we wanted to wanted to kind of flesh out because those have been the narratives. And last year when we spoke, we kind of talked about it being a, a filler class and really hitting needs and maybe not the flash class. And we said, hey, this time next year, we would need to have a top 10 class, which we wound up having in a somewhat miraculous way. And now the question that begs itself to be asked, like like you just mentioned, is for Florida, A, is this class good enough this year? You know, we were sitting here last year. Should we have expected a class that was nine or ten, or is this a little bit below that? And then, secondly, do you think now we're primed for next year's recruiting cycle, bringing in two new coaches that are rumored to be recruiters to make it into a a more elite position where we start landing maybe a few of the top headliner guys that we didn't necessarily get this year? You know, I think if if you look at this class. Like I said, there's a lot of young guys on the offensive side. You know, I think when you add some guys, you know, Darius Lemons, you know, despite his off-field issues, I mean, this is probably the best running back in the state of Florida. James Robinson obviously got in some trouble at Ohio State. Still a a top-rated kid on every cycle, or excuse me, every site. Um, You know, so I do think that this class is good enough. You know, I do think that this will be a class that contributes. Obviously, defensive back, they did a really good job there. And these guys are going to be counted on early. If you look at – you know, the guys that left and, and what they're bringing in, you know, there's not really anybody proven in the defensive backfield. So I think a lot of these guys are going to get a crack, you know, early to contribute. And, you know, on the defensive line, I really do think that, you know, you have a guy, uh, Kyrie Campbell, who just turned 18, and whenever they uh, put his his, uh, his his 
like measurements up yesterday when they were announcing. I mean, this kid is 323 pounds at 18 years old. That's a big boy. So, you know, I think that a lot of these guys are going to come in and they're, and they're going to have to be, you know, they're going to have to contribute with the guys that they lost on defense. You know, these guys are going to be thrown into the fire early. So, you know, I think the staff is really going to have to count on these guys. They're going to have to hope this class is good. I, I do think that there's a lot of solid pieces there. I, I am interested to see kind of how some of these things crack out. You know, a lot of three stars at the linebacker position. But these are guys that, that are good players. You know, I've watched their film. I am impressed with what they can do. And, and I have to say, you know, Randy Shannon, he's got an eye for linebackers. So, you know, I, I do think that, you know, a lot of these guys will contribute and help. Um, but going forward, you know, in 2018, you know, obviously they're going to have to have some staff hires. And, you know, it has been rumored and, and talked about even McElwain that, you know, that they want to get some guys who can recruit. Um, you know, and this 2018 class will really be the first class that Ford is not behind the eight ball with them, so to say, with these relationships. You know, when McElwain got in, they were behind the eight ball of, you know, just getting in with these kids. A lot of these old other staffs that have been in place longer, uh, you know, they had a really good relationship with all these kids. So I think the 2018 class is really the first class where, you know, Florida was either really early in offering and, and has really started to build a bond with them early or maybe was even a kid's first offer. So, you know, I do think if you add some recruiters on this staff and, and maybe, you know, add some guys that, you know, are a little bit better at pitching and selling the school, I do think that 18 can be a really good class for Florida because not only – are there a lot of really talented kids in the state of Florida like there are every year? There's a lot of really talented kids at positions of need for Florida. You always need offensive linemen. There's a ton of them in the state. You always need defensive linemen. There's a ton of them in the state. And there's really a lot of talented defensive backs, too, as well. So, you know, I think 2018 can be a good class for Florida also. Let me dip in and ask about some particular players in this class. You've mentioned a lot of guys, but who do you think has, like, the highest ceiling in this class? Who do you think, if we're looking at it, Four years from now, who's the best guy? You know, if I look at it, I think there's two guys that really stick out the most to me. Excuse me. That can have probably the highest ceiling. I really am impressed with James Robinson, the wide receiver from Lakeland. This kid is 6'3", 200 pounds. I mean, he's just a big body. You know, this is a guy that Clemson wanted really badly until they got T. Higgins, who uh, he's, I mean, T. Higgins is probably one of the, if not the best wide receiver in this year's class. So, you know, as as good as they've done as recruiting at Clemson, you know, this is a guy that they did want. You know, they were trying to shuffle some space to even look at him near the end there. But I think the citation thing at Ohio State did kind of, you know, mess things up for him a little bit there. But, you know, I do think that if if he really gets his act together and McElwain took it, you know, he took a chance on him. You know, this was a guy Monday I got the call that Florida wasn't going to be able to bring him in because the admissions denied him and, you know, that they weren't wanting to take the PR hit and, you know, whatever, all that. But, you know, and then he, he McElwain sticks his neck and takes a chance on the kid, you know. And I, I do think that James notices that. I live in Lakeland myself, and I know a lot of people thought highly of that, that James, that Mac did that for James. So, you know, I do think that he can be probably, you know, one of the top guys in this class, you know, if he does pan out and continues to work hard. Another guy that really sticks out to me, too, is Sean Davis, the defensive back from down in Miami. I pushed for this guy to be a higher-ranked kid, I, I think, for months you know I don't even know if I could give you a specific timeline I love the kid's game I never was really crazy about him as a cornerback but his senior tape is amazing and he plays a lot of safety he had three pick sixes his senior year he tried to enroll early he had a class that was denied by the NCAA so obviously he couldn't get in there early and you get in the weight room which you know it is bad you know because I mean you always want a kid to get in there as early as possible but uh you know I, I really am 
excited about what he can do at Florida because I, he was a guy that I really did push for to move up in the rankings and it just never panned out for me or even for him. So, you know, I think he's going to come in with that chip on his shoulder and he's going to be a guy that's going to surprise a lot of people. So the narrative coming into the week, you mentioned it already a little bit was, you know, kind of doom and gloom, the sky is falling and that completely flipped as, you know, Florida closed, I think better than anyone expected, you know, um, what was it like covering the team, you know, dealing with Gator fans, dealing with like the whole cycle of momentum kind of thing? Um, what was that like for you and and any thoughts on that process? It's kind of like a roller coaster. It's like whenever you ride in the Incredible Hulk ride at Islands of Adventure, I don't know if you guys have been on that, that steep climb up and then that drop and then that rise back up. It was really up and down, you know, the fans. You know, they, they, they obviously Florida fans are used to being top five, top ten, top whatever in recruiting classes. And, you know, it, it wasn't there. And, you know, I obviously I understand where, you know, people's concerns were. But I will tell you that, you know, covering signing day and watching Florida land those six guys and just seeing how smooth everything went, you know, Florida not only landed six guys, but they didn't lose anybody in their recruiting class, which I think is awesome as well because I feel like every year since I've been doing recruiting, there's at least one, maybe two guys that, you know, flips on signing day, doesn't end up in the class later on. So I do think that it was impressive. And, you know, up and down is probably really the best way to explain how the, you know, covering this recruiting cycle was. Uh, you know, there was a couple of days there, maybe near the end of the week, so I'm like, man, I just got to get through this light at the end of the tunnel. Man, this is almost over. Thankfully, it's almost over. But the way it closed, I really think that it was a high note, and I think a lot of Florida fans are excited looking into spring ball. It's often reported that there are recruiting games, so to speak, that coaches play where they're trying to either keep the media or other teams off a guy. Uh, did any of that go on with the Gators this year? Absolutely. You know, I think the one that sticks out to me the most, we were talking uh, before the show, um, that, uh, you know, C.J. Henderson is a guy that – had been back and forth, you know, in the fall. I mean, it, it, he, if you would have asked me, I would have said slam dunk to Florida, you know, done deal. I, I have no doubt that this kid ends up being a Gator. But probably maybe I, I would say beginning of January, Miami really started to push for him. Uh, you know, obviously there was that rumor about the Homestead thing and, you know, the NCAA violations that were completely false that I think were started somewhere down there in South Florida. Uh, you know, it started getting some doubts in these kids. So I think that really did get into CJ's head. And obviously he has a teammate that's committed to Miami. Uh, a lot of guys from his school, Columbus, down there in Miami, have sent guys to UM. So, you know, I, I do think that Miami did creep in there. But last couple of days before the end of the cycle, uh, he actually went from not returning Florida's phone calls to calling them a lot, saying, Coach, I'm coming, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, Florida felt really good that they were getting him. And I was actually going to pick him to Florida on my predictions the, the night before signing day. And I got a call from someone at Florida and said, look, man, don't ruin our mojo. Uh, you know, can you please do me this solid and pick this guy to Miami? Um, you know, which is fine because, you know, I think the best way if you're picking a school, um, you know, you never want to pick a school and pick Florida and the kid not go there because then you have an angry mob. But if you pick another school and a kid ends up at Florida, people are so excited they don't care anyway. So, you know, I did think that it was back and forth. Deep down I had a in my gut I thought that Miami – was still very, very much a player, but Florida was very positive and really thought they were going to get him. And it turns out that actually whenever he was uh, getting ready to do his announcement and go on Periscope and everyone's like, you know, where is he going? He had already faxed his letter of intent to Florida that morning, which is why you saw as soon as he committed, Florida announced him. So, you know, that this was something that was in the works the night before. 
And uh, another one, too, Brian Edwards. I'd seen how everyone's like the night before. He's back and forth. He's really undecided. You know, Miami's really pushing hard. And, you know, that really wasn't the case at all. He was actually, you know, already had decided he was going to Florida after his visit. Took a couple days to really decide things, talk things over with mom and dad. And that's when he really locked things in. And he actually uh, was blocked, had blocked a, a lot of numbers in his phone except for Randy Shannon, a guy in the support staff for Florida, and his own personal trainer. So, you know, this guy was a done deal to Florida before. And, you know, whereas everyone's, you know, where's he going? Oh, it's so close. It's back and forth. But, you know, all along this kid was going to Florida probably the Monday he got home from his Florida visit. So we went head-to-head with Miami on nine occasions, I believe, and won seven of those, which is leading some people to call this the best South Florida class that Florida has signed. Is that true? I would say so. I mean, for my recent memory, I would say that this is definitely – it's either up there or it's the top class that they've done in South Florida, and I think it's impressive. And that shows that John Heron, a guy that they have on their support staff, that they added in Randy Shannon. I think their presence is being shown in South Florida by how much more kids from South Florida they're starting to get each year since Shannon's been there. Now, critics of this class are going to point to the fact that we only have one top 100 player. Does that concern you like it concerns them? I think it should concern people. You know, I mean, if you look at a lot of these other teams that Florida is playing on their schedule, you know, they, they, you know, did pretty good at getting a lot of these top 100 kids and top 250 kids and whatnot. So, you know, I think there is some concern there. But at the same time, too, I, I think that this staff has done a pretty good job at evaluating guys that, you know, are really good players. You know, Michael P. Ryan is always my favorite example. When he committed to Florida last uh, cycle, his best offer was Mississippi State besides Florida. And he ended up being probably one of the top five freshman running backs in the history of Florida. So, you know, I think these guys have a really good eye for, for talent. So, you know, I think they're going to definitely bring in some players, and I'm sure there's going to be quite a few of these guys that exceed expectations. But, you know, in the back of the mind, you know, elite programs get to that elite level by landing elite players. So, you know, I think that, you know, you're not going to beat Alabama with a couple of four-stars and three-stars when they're signing the number one class, what, like six out of the seven years or something like that. So, you know, I think there is some concern in the SEC. You have to land elite players, especially when other SEC teams are doing that too. But, you know, I think it's a work in progress. I do think that when McElwain took over the Florida program that it needed to be rebuilded. You know, the brand really, you hear him talk about that a lot. I do think that McElwain has rebuilt a lot of things, has repaired a lot of relationships that weren't quite there when he got there. So I do think if you look at his classes and where they've come from every year, I do think that they're on the incline every year. You know, I think every year it should get better, and I think fans expect that. So, you know, I think that it could be a blessing in disguise or it could be something that could hurt Florida down the road for signing a top 10 class like this, because next year fans are going to expect that to be higher. So you mentioned, you know, Sean Davis is a guy, you know, has a really high ceiling and maybe people weren't expecting. Are there any other players in this class that you feel like are a little underrated or I don't know if sleeper is the right word, but that you expect to exceed their current reputation? Uh, You know, I think if I'm just looking at the rankings, it's hard to say, a four-star player is, is underrated, but I do think that Adarius Lemons, this is a guy, like I said before, I mean, he was a top running back in the state of Florida before he had some off-field issues. Um, I think he's going to be a guy that exceeds expectations. Um, another running back, Malik Davis, he's also a, a four-star kid, but, I mean, this is Hillsborough County's all-time leading rusher. You know, I think that uh, the, the just the, the sheer yards he's put up over his career I think is impressive. I, you know, I think he's a little bit quicker than people give him credit for. 
But, uh, you know, I think the thing with him is he needs to add a little bit of weight, continue to build. Probably the guy that actually jumped out the most, and I just looked at the commitment list and, and saw him. The guy that I think is probably the most – one of the most underrated guys is Ventrell Miller, the linebacker from Lakeland Kathleen. I, like I said before, I live in Lakeland. I've seen him play a couple times. This kid is a missile. He runs around. He will smack you. And when you hear him hit people, I mean, it is loud. Like, I mean, I, I think that he's going to fit well into that aggressive style that they play. He really kind of reminds me a lot, and I think Randy Shannon even kind of compared him to – he does kind of remind me a little bit of Ray Lewis. You know, I think it's kind of hard to put a guy into, you know, that category who has had such a great career from college to the NFL. But, I mean, this is a kid that he's a little shorter than people give him, you know, credit for, like kind of like Ray Lewis is a little shorter. He's, he's got – he's a thick kid, but, I mean, he will smack you. And I think that's the thing that really sticks out to his game to me the most is just when he, he reacts, I mean, he hits the hole, and, I mean, he is going to hit you, so you better be ready for it. All right, Blake, let's put a bow on this for the Gator fans that are trying to make sense of this class. We talked about a lot of things today. We talked with Tom. We talked with you. In your opinion, looking at the three years of work that McIlwain has done, are you encouraged about the future? Do you feel like we're on the right track? We're on schedule to begin competing with Alabama and Florida State in head-to-head games? I do. You know, I, I do think that there's obviously some things that McIlwain and then the rest of people at Florida need to do, obviously add some guys on the staff that are high-level recruiters. I think that's the thing that sticks out to me the most is when you look at the staff, a lot of great coaches. I think there's some really good recruiters, but there's not that ace guy, you know, a Tim Brewster, a Damian Craig, you know, um, you know, guys like that. That I mean, they just, you know, they, they, they're they closers. You know, they reel in the top talent. So, you know, I think that that can really – take Florida that next level is getting that guy that can really sell the program and you know has relationships with these kids and relates to these kids and you know gets them excited about things and you know has a strong presence on social media you know I think that that's something that's important now in this day and age and you know this this technology boom that we have going on um, you know so I do think there's a lot of things to be encouraged about I do think that Florida can take things there you know they're adding things like the standalone football facility upgrading the dorms adding the IPF they added a while ago so, you know, I do think that a lot of these things are things that, you know, kids can sit there and say, oh, the academics are important. I, I, I don't buy it. You know, whenever you see a kid who says academics are important, they choose like, you know, Alabama over Florida. You know, if you look at the statistics on, you know, education, that's just not that's not true. Obviously, they want to go to a program that, you know, it's Alabama. You know, it's hard to tell a program like that. No, that's been winning and has so much prestige and, you know, whatnot. But anyways, I do think that. Florida can take it that level they just have to continue and like I said before I do feel like they're on the incline every year things seem to get better but I really think that the, the elephant in the room is really just those coaches that you know aren't quite elite recruiters and I think that that's really the thing that McElwain needs to address you know and I, I would assume with National Signing Day over now that that's something that he's going to really look towards now. Do we sign a top five class next year? Uh, you know I definitely think that Florida can you know I do think that the 2018 you know, just kids in the state of Florida, you know, I mean, if you look at the rivals rankings um, for this cycle from the top 100 kids in the state of Florida, the breakdown between the big three was Florida signed. I think it was 14 Miami signed 11 and FSC signed nine of the top 100 kids in the state of Florida. So, you know, I think that that's where McElwain's looking and he's, you know, he's, you know, taking back Florida and signing the kids in state next year is really talented in state with a lot of guys that, you know, in areas that have been good to Florida, you know, the I-4 corridor, Tampa, Orlando, down in South Florida. Uh, Jacksonville, I think, has a couple guys, but it's not quite, you know, as, as, as elite as, you know, the other places I just named. So, you know, I think that 
whenever you have guys that are, are in Gator-friendly areas, that these are guys that Florida needs to land and should land. He is Blake Alderman. You can catch him on InsideTheGators.com or Rivals.com. He's a frequent contributor to this podcast. Blake, thanks so much, uh, as always, for joining the show. Anytime. Glad to be here. James, we talked about everyone's overall positive feeling coming from National Signing Day. But do you have any misgivings about this class or any issues you have with it? Well, there's certainly some some reason to be critical. Uh, there's two probably main camps right now. There's Camp A, which is just really excited with the class, feels like we have a lot of quality. There's Camp B, which I can I can partially sit in, which is, hey, this was nice. This is a step forward. But there's a significant lack of star power as defined by the top 100 players. And we've alluded to this before, that there's some good data out there that you have to have a certain percentage of top 150 players to be able to compete. You also have to have that superstar to be able to win a title. Clemson is, is, is significant evidence of that. While their entire roster wasn't as good as Alabama's, they had Deshaun Watson. You have to have an impact player. Uh, you heard Blake mention other coaches that have mentioned these impact players, as well as Tom. They've mentioned impact players on our previous episode. You have to have them. You can sometimes get them from three stars and four stars. For sure, Callaway, that's a guy right there that was a, a three-star, I believe, and uh, impact player. So you can have them there, but that's a critique that's legitimate. And I think, Alan, you and I talked about this. How many five-star players do you think this class would have needed to put us in the top five? Like, how close were we really to that barrier? It's hard to say with, you know, I don't crunch the numbers, but I think maybe two of them. And if you remember, Alex Leatherwood was inches away from enrolling in this class in the early enrollee uh, period. And Bama held on to him at the last possible second. And you need those premier guys, I think, like you said, to push that into like a top five, top three kind of range. You could have all four stars. I don't think would really get quite close. You get definitely in the top 10. But yeah, I think as a program, I think that would be the place I think we're lacking is those elite, elite guys, you know, CC Jefferson, Martez, Ivan in other class, you know, we're still waiting on them to fully emerge, but to be a dominant program, I think you have to have a couple of those guys and there weren't any five stars in this class. So say what you want about the star system. It's flawed, but generally you look at those five star guys, they're the most likely guys to be drafted by the NFL. Right. And there's only a few of them. There's, you know, 10 to 20 in every class. So there's not a lot to go around, but, that would be our our at least my main criticism is the lack of headline top tier guys in this class. And you know, I think you like you said to get that level, maybe you only need a couple of them. There's only a couple of them to go around. So that's where I think this class uh, could be like moving from a really solid, excellent class to an elite kind of class. And I feel good about the fact that McElwain seems to be addressing that. He's taking that seriously. He knows we need those horses. He has a, a, a game plan uh, surrounding facilities, player dormitories, football only things to get there. He wants to add the support staff. Essentially, we want to become more like Alabama with regards to their ability to chart players. You heard Tom Lemming on our previous episode mention that as well. Something Tom mentioned that we want to talk about here was the concept of signing day momentum. And so we've generated this signing day momentum. Uh, this will carry on forward for a while, like Tom mentioned, and then it will carry on essentially into the season. 
And then your performance will matter. And I know a lot of you out there are probably like Alan and I, where you think, hey, if we can get some good quarterback play, if we have some good offensive play, that will really translate into momentum for the program and better recruits. Well, in fact, as you may recall, we've already witnessed this and we've witnessed what happens when it goes the other way. We were undefeated with Will Greer. I think most of us felt like this is a tidal wave of momentum. Uh, McIlwain probably would have started off with a very, very good recruiting class. Our program was nationally relevant. Everyone's excited. And then, boom, scandal hits. You go back to square one. Your offense goes in the tank. You suffer for the next year. And you kind of had this long reset that McIlwain talks about to where we had to build relationships and earn the players' trust because our success on the field was not going to translate to excitement. And, and that's almost a two-year setback. So here we are again, I think, Alan, different roster, different situation, but possibly on this momentum cusp where the games we play next year are going to be more significant than just for the record themselves. You could be talking about a dynamic uptick in recruiting if we can get exciting offense, a solid quarterback, a reason for these recruits to believe that this is the place to be. This is the up and coming superstar program again. I think you nailed it right there. I mean, it, it's fascinating to watch this develop because really, you know, even this class, like you said, I, I think it was taking a wait and see attitude. And they did just enough this year to like, I think, give these guys hope that we're going to move to the next level. There's so much riding on our offensive success next year. Because that's what people want to see. Obviously, this program has been very successful on defense, been fairly successful record-wise, but hasn't put up the offensive statistics that people are looking for, like the type of offense people want to join and be a part of. And it really comes down to quarterback play. The best programs have elite quarterback play, and that shows up on the recruiting trail. And so, man, it matters so much how we look on offense and probably how I would say Felipe Franks, how does he perform? Or if not him, Kyle Trask, Jake Allen, whoever wins that job seems Franks is the front runner, still a long ways to go, but how those guys perform and how we look on offense, if we look good, moves us closer to that elite level. And if we don't look good, man, it just reinforces that narrative. That's going to take even longer to dig out from. So a lot riding on the team overall, but really on the offensive side of the ball. Because I think people expect that we might take a step back on defense, but if we don't make significant improvement on offense, it's going to really hamper the efforts of the program in totality. And yeah, Will Greer, we're still recovering. (laughs) We're talking about it years later. I felt like it was yesterday. Man, still stabs me a little bit. Okay, let's, let's tie this together here. We talked about some of the pros, some of the cons. Would you consider this class a success? Yes. And the reason for this is my question in November, in October, in September, in August, in December, in January consistently was, can McElwain recruit? I think he has answered that question that he can. He can recruit. For him to pull this class together when everything seemed to be trending against us, means he can do it. He understands how to do it. He understands how to build relationships. It looks like the hires that he is trying to make are geared towards being recruiters. Every possible data point you can look at would tell you right now that he can do it and he should get better at it. My only little asterisk there is before the season, 
I would have said, hey, we need to be in the top five. I still think we need to be in the top five. But he answered a huge question for me. I don't feel like, assuming a train wreck of a season that we could have in this year, I don't feel like now I have a strong belief that he can't recruit and that next year is going to be a struggle. Instead, I feel like we should continue to get better. That's and that's what I didn't you. know. Yeah, and for me, that's what I wanted to see. And we've mentioned all along, some of you out there might think, hey, James is married to his viewpoints or his opinions. But I like to say that all I really care about is the data. And that's all you're going to get from me. As you know, when you listen to this show, you're going to get what I think the data says and then what I think that means. And that's what I want to wed myself to. And I think the data is now showing me he can do it. And that's a massive question for me to have answered. So for me, looking at it that way, successful class uh, on the own merits of the class. I like what we addressed. Defensive tackle was a massive need for us. We hammered on that last year, took care of that. We're still a little behind the eight ball there because these guys are going to have to play as freshmen. I don't think that should have happened, but it happened. Here we are. But all in all, good class, positive momentum, reasons to be excited, reasons to believe in McElwain. Uh, a lot of hope for me right now for the future of the program. Yeah, in addition to like the meta narrative of the program, shifting like you just said there when i look at the individual players in this class i like a lot of them and i'm not over scout but you know kind of combing through the overall consensus on these guys as much as we know about them right now i think it not only fits needs like i said before it's with excellent players and i i would expect these guys to be successful there now you look at some guys that you take in maybe some of the previous classes i think about some guys last year and it's like man i don't know if these guys are ever going to see the field I feel like with most of the guys in this class, my expectation would be that they're going to make a contribution sometime during their career at UF because they're all so highly rated. So I'm going to say success, you know, doesn't mean that this is the peak of our performance or what we need to get to, to really compete year in and year out for championships, but it's a building block in that direction. So I'm going to say success stamp it there. You heard it here. Successful, both of us. Feel, right. feel at ease, Gator Nation. So now that we put a bow on this year's class, in 2018, what do you need to see to continue to feel like we're on the right track and the program's going in the right direction? <clears throat> well, yeah, I think it's just what we hit on before. Some more of these elite-level, high-end guys, five stars if you want to put them in that category. And and I don't want to get too caught up in, like, it needs to be a top-five class because if it's – six or whatever that's fine you know but feels like to get to those you know one two three four five spots in recruiting rankings you need those elite players so those things are just a correlation you know it's not that you have to be five or else we're a failure but elite players taking note of what we're doing joining in i i feel like that's the next step for mcelwain and the staff and if they don't get there it feels like maybe they just took a step sideways instead of a step forward. Yeah, I, I need to see the trend continue to progress. I'm going to keep saying that. It's really important. We were in the mid-20s and the mid-teens, now around 10. We need to improve upon that next year, whether that's three, four, five, or six, whatever it may be. It needs to be an improvement. And using the Musgrove tier system, we need to wind up in tier two. I don't think tier one is <clears throat> potentially ever realistic. As long like, as Saban's up. As long as Saban's there, because he has the first mover advantage. He's already built all the networks there. To sort of pass him while he's there, probably not realistic. I don't even know that you can equal him. Urban Meyer is a phenomenal recruiter. He can't get him. Tier 2 is achievable for us, though, without a doubt. That's the ultimate goal. It's got to be the goal for the program. So if we can get to Musgrove, 
tier two-ish next year, I consider that a success. That's probably somewhere uh, between class number two to three to maybe seven would be a nice spot to be. Anywhere in there, I'd feel pretty satisfied that the progression is continuing, and that would be the direction that I want to go. Well, Alan and I have certainly enjoyed this episode. We think it's been a great signing day. We will be back with you the week of the spring game. We're going to do a pre-spring game and a post-spring game episode. The spring game is on Friday night this year. Uh, I believe the first week in April, April 7th. Is that right? I believe so. April 7th. And so we'll be there with you during that week. We'll get you ready for the game. We'll talk about some players that have made an impact on the on the spring practice trail. And of course, we'll talk a lot about quarterback play. That's going to be one of the big questions heading into the spring. We look forward to diving in to that with you as always thanks for listening uh, certainly drop us a like on facebook but most importantly please rate us on itunes or wherever you listen to it whether it's on stitcher or any other handler go ahead and drop us a rating on itunes that helps the show it helps us and it continues to allow us to bring you the best content for gator football Great news from Sprint. The wait is finally over. The new Samsung Galaxy Note 10 with the powerful S Pen has arrived at Sprint and you can get it for 50% off with a Sprint Flex lease. That's right. Get the power of performance and productivity of the Galaxy Note 10 for less than $20 per month. There's never been a better time to switch. To learn more, visit your local Sprint store, sprint.com slash Galaxy Note 10 or call 800-SPRINT-1 today. $19.79 a month after $19.80 monthly credit applied with two bills with approved credit 18-month lease and new line of service. If canceled, literally remain balance due. Excuse tax coverage and offer not available everywhere through the activation fee restrictions apply. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com